First Peter chapter two, please. First <clears throat> Peter chapter two, verses nine and following. This is the second part, which may be turning to be the third part. By the time we finish with it, of a message that we taught, we we have entitled "Proclamation of Spiritual Privileges to Be Proclaimed." Proclamation of spiritual privileges to be proclaimed. And last week we looked in nine and following, and we're going to go as far as we can with that this morning, just before we have the Lord's Supper. But would you, in reverence and respect <clears throat> out of God's Word, would you, if you're physically able, stand with us as we read from it? <clears throat> First Peter two nine it says, "But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation." His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness <clears throat> into His marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's the word of the living God. Thank you so much for standing. <clears throat> I want to pursue an outline uh, in this text that I'm not trying to impose on the text. I'm trying to live from it. And it's this. Peter first looks at our position. Then that leads to praise. And then our posture. So <clears throat> that's our outline. Our position. Our position. The praise that comes from that position. And our posture as a result of it. Position. Praise and posture. Last week, we went over position. Position is this, our identity, who we are as the covenant people of God. And we looked at it and we parsed it out last week in verse 9. Here's who we are. We're a chosen generation. That's the privilege from which all, of the, all the other privileges flow. The Bible says that you didn't choose God, nor did I, but He chose me. And He chose you. And he did that because of what exists in his heart, and he did it for his glory. He didn't do it motivated by what exists in mine. As a matter of fact, the only thing he found in my heart was eternal sludge and filth and sin and pride and rebellion. We're born into sin. The Bible says in our mother's womb we are conceived in iniquity. David said in Psalm 51, we sin, we do what comes natural to us, and the only thing a person can do apart from Jesus Christ is sin. The Bible says there's no one good, no, not one. The Bible says no one seats God, no less than three times. The Bible says that the person who has an unchanged, unregenerate mind, a non-Christian, that God is in none of his thoughts. If a non-Christian has a thought about God and eternity, it's because God's reaching out to them, not because they're reaching out to God. 
That's the state he found you and I in. That's why we can praise him. The reason we can praise him, David, is because none of the glory goes to him, uh, to us, but all of it goes to him. Every bit of it. So we're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. We lifted that from Exodus 19.6 where it says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He spoke that to his covenant people, the Jewish race, and he gave them a covenant to follow, not so they could be his chosen people, but because they to show them their failure of meeting that covenant and that God was going to send his only son to do it in their place. He has grafted us in as Gentiles, as believers, and placed us into a royal priesthood where we don't have go-betweens. We don't have a mediator between us, some man who goes between us and God. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. Every believer in repentant faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone and trusting Him alone for our salvation means we have access and authority and audience with the God of glory. We have a royal priesthood. That royal priesthood means a royal house. It means a royal dwelling. It means that you as a believer are a royal palace. Hallelujah. I didn't look like that when I got up this morning. Don't look like that now. But that make you less true. Hallelujah. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. He lives inside. We have a union with Jesus. We're in Jesus now. He said, you're a holy nation. You're a set-apart people. It means holy. It means separate. It means set-apart. It doesn't mean that we sequester ourselves. It means that we're set-apart so that we can live in front of others a set-apart life. Not physically set-apart, but behaviorally set-apart. These people have a different set of priorities. These people have a different mindset about everything. Everything that the world holds to and values the Christian, what he holds to and values is the polar opposite. They don't intersect not one time. And the Bible says we as a Christian, if we're going to be a friend to the world, and that does not mean the people who make up the world, but the world system that we're at enmity with God. They're not friends. Because the world system says to God, thanks but no thanks, we don't need you. That's basically the premise. That's humanism. That's where it takes us. Thanks, God, but no thanks. We don't need you. The center message of the Bible. In the very middle of the Bible, it says it's better to trust of the Lord than to put confidence in men. Psalm 118, verse 8. This is our relationship. These are the spiritual privileges. We are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. This is our position. This is our rank. This is our standing with God. He goes on. It just gets better and better all the time. His own special people. This is a term of endearment. It means a purchased possession that we were bought with a price. The Bible through the Apostle Paul, reminds the Ephesian elders, and we looked at it in Acts chapter 20. You be careful with these people. You be careful with the flock that God's called among you to shepherd. Because let me remind you something. When you deal with them, and when you love them, and when you exhort them, and when you nurture them, and you invest, and when most of all you serve them, you serve me. And make sure you take care of them. Because listen to this. They were purchased through the blood of my son. That's the church. 
You were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. How do you determine the value of something? It's the price that's paid for it. What does that say about the church? Is there anything more valuable than the precious blood of Jesus Christ? That should evoke holy fear, especially for a pastor. You be careful with these people and don't lose sight that no matter what happens among them, and no matter what it takes, you take care of them and you shepherd them and you direct them toward me. You point them to my son because they were purchased by my son. His blood. Purchased. You're a saint. You are purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. We were not redeemed with corruptible things from our aimless conduct received by tradition from our fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The lamb of glory. Why? Why all this? Do we deserve any of this? Do you find human merit in there anywhere? Can you nudge it in anywhere? Is there an opening? Is there, is, there a, is there a crack in the case somewhere? Is there a place to exploit? Is there some, is, is there some cause? Is there some uh, place that I can get in right there and say, well, you know what? You, you ought to be proud of me, Lord. You know, you pick me. You know, you pick me. I don't blame you, man. I, hey, I've got, a, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I've got I've got some speed. I bat left, handed. It means I'm closer to the first base. You know, you pick me. I don't blame you for putting me on. No, we should look at it and go, why did you pick me? Because I have no reason. I can't make a case for it. I wouldn't, if I'd have been you, I wouldn't have picked me. That's what repentance is, to agree with God over the judgment that we deserve apart from Him. That's repentance. God, you would be right in sending me to hell. It would have been a just thing for you to do. That increases my marvel over the fact that I'm not going. So look at it. Here's our position. Here's our position. Position, position, listen. Spiritual privileges, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people drawn up to his bosom, drawn to his bosom. Abba, Father, as Rosemary spoke this morning, God's got all this going on with Iran, getting nuclear weapons, and he's up in heaven saying, I'm going to get that camera back to my daughter. Does it tax God one iota? It's just as important to him, maybe even more so, that Rosemary get her camera back than what's going on in the Middle East. God's sovereign. He cares about what happens to you. You don't have to convince Him to care. You don't have to go to Him when you're in a time of need and convince Him to love somebody that you love and are praying about because He already beat you to it. He loves them far more than you do. Oh, man. We're spiritual gazillionaires because of what Jesus Christ did. The tomb is empty, dear ones. The tomb is empty. Your inheritance is complete. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You've been accepted in the Beloved. You, were, you have received the redemption, the forgiveness of your sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You are a joint heir. You are a child. If you're a believer. Why? Why position? Why does that matter? Let me tell you why that matters. 
The reason that matters is, is that's the very thing that the devil spends his time talking you out of believing. He spends his time overtime. He knows. The devil's got sense enough to know. He's not dumb. He knows that he cannot mess with your eternal destiny. He knows as a believer that you're eternally secure. I'm, you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you've repented toward God and put faith in His Son, you are eternally saved. And the devil knows that. So he says, okay, I can't do anything about the relationship which gnaws me, so here's what I'll do. I'll do whatever I can possibly do to, make up their, to mess with their fellowship. Because if I can mess with their fellowship, I will render them powerless. And they will not do what we're called to do in the next verse. They won't do it. They won't do it. And that's this. What was the purpose? The position leads to the praise. To what? Proclaim the praises of Him who called you and out, I, out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not the people of God, who are now the people of God, who once had not obtained mercy and have obtained mercy. Why? Because he doesn't want us going around bragging on Jesus. And let me tell you the context here. And we've got to lift this from this verse, uh, this book. These are people who are going through persecution for their faith. They're about to go under greater persecution. It's going to get more intense. He's preparing them for that. The Holy Spirit is. And what he's saying is this. I cannot tell you how powerful the witness that you will yield for the Savior's sake if you praise Him in the middle of your pain. But listen, it's not some feigned praise. It's not something we trump up and we go, I'm going to praise Him. It's not like that. It's informed praise and it's based on my position. I am going to praise Him because I'm part of a royal priesthood. I'm part of a chosen generation. I'm one of God's people. He didn't choose, I didn't choose Him, He chose me. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And I deserve none of it. And I'm going to praise Him because let me tell you something, friend. I once walked in darkness, but now I see. I once had no claim except to an earthly family and sometimes felt rejected by them. But now I'm a part of eternal family, guaranteed by the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. And now, one time I had a sentence of death and eternal punishment on my head and I've received not fairness and justice from God I've received mercy from God I know where I belong and I know where I'm headed and my appreciation for the difference between the two grows daily my gratitude that God did this not me this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in my eyes Understanding position automatically leads to praise. Understanding position automatically leads to praise. It's an overflow. It is, it is inevitable. If we latch on to and let this latch on to us, we cannot help Him but praise Him. In the middle of our pain, in the middle of our difficulty, when Christianity is brought home best, is when the praise is expected the least. You know what it does? It makes everybody kind of scratch their head and go, do what? 
Let me ask you a question. This is convicting for me. It's convicting for me. And I tell you this, if this convicts nobody else in here, it's already done it to me. Let me ask you a question. We talk about arming ourselves with our worldviews. You know, we're going to, you know, we need to have a good, we do, we do. We need to have, we need to have a worldview. We do. But let me ask you a question. Just to the ebb and flow of living. When is the last time that somebody's come up to you and said, why is there so much hope in you? Because that's when you give the defense. It's when they ask, why is there so much hope in you? I told the guys at the Bible study yesterday morning about a professor. Uh, he's got 94 degrees uh, and smart, Dr. William Lane Craig. And he's an adjunct professor at Talbot Theological Seminary. And he's got every PhD known to man. Smart guy, humble too, as smart as he is. Went over to Kennesaw State University to hear him speak once. He gave a talk. A seminar on the three reasons why liberal as well as conservative theologians and everybody in between agree that the resurrection occurred. To me, I disagree because the Bible says it. Okay, but you know, okay, but um, but uh, 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 and he got up there and gave that discourse, and it was just on and on and on. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. wonderful. I don't remember any of it, but it was wonderful. And so it, he got through, and everybody was fielding questions and all that, and they were going back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. And I'm really impressed with this guy. I think he's a great guy. I'm not downsizing his intellectual ability. I admire it. But, 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 but he was just going back and forth. And finally, I, I realized the Q&A was about to close, and I said, Dr. Craig, can I ask you a question? He said, I'll take one more question. Yes, sir. And I was sitting like right where you're at, um, Kelly. And, and I looked over, and he was talking with kind of a, you know, you know, kind of a little professor edge. You know, that kind of... You know, that kind of thing. And when I asked this question, his countenance completely changed. It was like we were sitting across from the coffee table. And I said, Dr. Craig, let me ask you a question. How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Let me tell you. Took off the PhD stuff and it wasn't Dr. Craig, then it was Bill. He said, let me tell you how I did. And he said, there was a girl in my German class in high school and she was offensively happy. She was so happy she ticked me off. Happy all the time. And I looked at her and I said, nobody can be that happy. You're fake. But day in, day out, day in, day out, I saw her be happy. And I'd gone to church and I'd found emptiness and sectarianism and, and, and all of those stuff. That's the kind of th I couldn't get into the crowd. And we do that all the time. Silly craziness we do in the body of Christ. And certain people, you know, birds of a feather flock together. And we do this inside the body. And we don't let people in. And that's how, that's how he saw Christianity. Until he saw Sandy in the German class. And he tapped on her shoulder one day and said, Sandy, how is it that you're so happy? Sandy, what's the reason for the hope that lies within you? And she said, oh, well, let me tell you. Da, 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 da. No, with meekness and fear. She said, Bill, it's because I'm saved. Saved, what does that mean? Let me tell you. And a little high school girl led this intellectual giant to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you something. It's an exciting time to be a believer. America's not built to last. This is the Titanic. It's going under. And, and we need to be on the top of the deck of the Titanic and saying, God sent a lifeboat. Get on the lifeboat. And while we're at it, let's have some hope mixed in. And the people who are hopeless can look and see the hope and give an opportunity to say, let me declare to you the praises of Him who called me out of darkness into light. And him who I wasn't once one of God's children, but now I am. And let me tell you this. 
What you know of how sorry I am, let me fill you in on it. What you think and what you might think of how sorry I am is much worse. And I'll just tell you this. Apart from Jesus Christ, I deserved His judgment. I received His mercy. He died in my place. And God raised His Son from the dead. That's praise. So based on what? Understanding of my position. Understanding my position produces arrogance? No! Biblical understanding of my, my position produces humility and unmitigated gratitude. God, why me? Thank you. Thank you. I can't help but thank you. I can't thank you enough for what you've done for me. Then posture. Look at it. Position, praise, and posture. And look what he says here in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims to sit in my home. Abstain from fleshly lusts. What's fleshly lusts? What you see, touch, feel, the boastful pride of life. This is the world. Things of the world. Feigned pursuits, meaningless pursuits that war against your soul. They war against your mind, your will, and emotions. They want to hold captive your will. They want to hold captive your will. I'm going to do what I will to do. Tack Jesus' name on it. Serve fervently so that I can serve this way when He really called me to serve that way. Or it plagues on my emotions. This tension between being in the world and not of it. I want to grab on to Jesus and grab on to the world at the same time. And I'm trying to negotiate between the two and see if they'll cut a deal and get me in on it. And it breeds nothing but frustration. He's asking for a level of surrender. I surrender all. I got to thinking about it. If I could write music, I would make I surrender all a, a, a real happy, oh happy, a slap happy, uh, up-tempo black gospel song. I would. I would. I, I, and let me tell you why I do that. Because it's a sweet surrender. Oh, it's not a funeral dirge. It means your death. Oh, but brothers and sisters, death is precedes life. On the other end of surrender is not death. On the other end of surrender is life. He who loves his life will lose it. But he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The man who follows me, him, my Father, will honor. Unless a rain of wheat falls into the ground, it remains alone. But if it falls into the ground, it dies it produces much fruit. Look, look at this. Curiously enough, it says, Beloved. He couldn't have preceded that with nothing, anything better. Beloved. Beloved. You know what it reminds me of? What love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. You know what the most, you know, you know what the, hey, when Jesus washed disciples' feet and this act of unbelievable humility, before he did it, you know what the Bible says about him? Knowing who he was and where he was headed and where he came from, he did it. You see, he knew his position. I'm God. I'm God. I'm headed back to heaven. I, 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 matter of fact, I've been there all along. I came down here to tell you about it and make a way for you to go. And I'm going back up there to secure your entrance there. But I know whom I have believed in. And I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed to Him against that day. That word right there, beseech, is not, I command you as sojourners. It's not that. It is not a command. It is the equivalent to Romans 12, 1 and 2. And in Romans 12, 1 and 2, 
It says, I urge you, brethren, based on the mercies of God, to offer up your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is a reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That same word, I urge you, is the exact same Greek word from which beg is translated. He's not saying, I command you to surrender. He's saying, I urge you to surrender. He's not saying, surrender so you can get saved. He's saying surrender because you understand that you are. See, position leads to praise. And praise leads to posture. And the posture is that of surrender. That of surrender. Position, I'm in Christ. I was once in Adam. I was once in Adam and I had everything that went along with that. Condemnation. Sin, rebellion, pride, anger, fear, doubt, confusion, loneliness, hopelessness, bitterness, and pride. Adam. And I've been transferred from Adam to now I'm in Christ. And I, Jesus, God, looks at me through the merits of His Son and has credited me with the righteousness of His Son. Y'all want to have the Lord's Supper? Amen. Oh, dear ones, can I say this to you? Think about this. We say, well, we got, we got back the righteousness that Adam lost in the garden. No, 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 no. That's not true. That's not true. Adam had a righteousness in the garden. He was a, he was a sinless man. But his righteousness, whatever it was like that was given to him, didn't hold up under the temptation. Huh? So as a believer, you're not gifted with the righteousness of Adam before he fell. You're gifted with the righteousness of God's Son. And God's Son did not fall. Get thee behind me, Satan. He was tempted in every way we were, yet without sin. And now God says... Saint, I am treating you exactly, exactly as my son because I see you in him. You're not an Adam anymore. Hallelujah. In Adam, everybody's condemned. In Jesus, you're justified. In Adam was death. In Jesus, life. They're pole opposites. In Adam, unrighteousness, wickedness. In Jesus, watch this, God. He who knew no sin became sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Him. You've been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have royal robes. The priestly robe has been wrapped around you by Jesus himself. Let's praise him. Let's praise him. Position leads to praise. And praise leads to a surrendered posture. If surrender comes any other way, if it comes any other way, it's not spirit-filled. If it comes any other way, it's to make up for the guilt of the past. If it comes any other way, it's to hyper-serve so God will one day be impressed. If it comes any other way, if it comes along any other line, it'll wear you slap out. 
And you and I will receive no recognition at the judgment seat of Christ for any of it because it will burn up just like that. It's based on obedience. And obedience is based on surrender. That's the posture. And surrender is based on praise. And praise is based on understanding position. And then you go, you know what, uncle? Uncle. That's what we used to say. My cousin. I had an older cousin. I'm still, I'm still bitter about this. I need to get released of this. And an older cousin, he would always grab me by the arm and twist my arm and make me say uncle. You know, and, and of course I'd put up with it till he almost broke my arm. And I finally say one day, say uncle. God's not like that. He doesn't twist your arm. He gave you his son. And say uncle. Say uncle. He's not arm twisted. And he's not trying to get you to make up for past mistakes. His son did that. He's not trying to get you to nurse your guilt and some under the carrot to some other place besides the cross. His son did that. He doesn't need you and I. His son did that. His work's going to go on. God's not reaching up his hands in heaven going, what in the world am I going to do with an unsurrendered Lewis? He's going, I want to work through my son. I want my son to have his way with you. That's what I want for you. I want you to surrender because you understand your position. When you understand your position, you're going to do nothing but praise me. And when you praise me, your posture is going to be surrender. Now, we're going to close. Here's what he's saying. He said, look at this. Among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, hey, watch this. Hey, oh, watch this. Don't say that. Rome's burned by Nero. He's going to clean it up. This is urban renewal plan. We're going to burn parts of Rome. We'll get rid of the undesirable parts and we'll rebuild. And he thought that was going to garner him the attention and the recognition and the affirmation and the devotion of the people. You know what it did? It had raised them. And they were looking for a scapegoat. Well, guess who was conveniently offered up as a scapegoat? Christians. They defame you as evildoers. Those bunch of Christians set fire to the slums of Rome and nearly burnt every last one of us. They're going to defame you as evildoers. Hey, hey, let them make the accusation. But through your surrendered life, based on your understanding of your position, which leads to praise, which leads to a spirit of surrendered posture, let them make the accusations, but they won't light once they get to know you. And they'll realize, wait a minute, these people have been falsely accused. These people that you said were tyrants, these people that you said were rebellious and insurrectionists and going against Rome are the nicest people, the most loving people I've ever seen in my life. If you hit them on one side of the cheek, they'll turn over the other. If you want to go one mile, they'll go with you too. If you want their tunic, they'll give you your coat also. You can borrow from them and they don't expect anything back in return. These are love-filled people. I was sharing with the guy who got converted from Islam. We went over to his house because we were commissioned over there because we were told he was not saved. And they said, this guy's interested in Christian faith. I said, let's go. And so we went over there and we got to talking with him and found out he was already saved. I said, well, tell me how you got saved. He said, we were refugees from Iran. We wound up in Europe, which many of them do. My wife got invited to a Bible study. At the Bible study, she started getting enamored with Christian faith. And much to my chagrin, became one without me knowing about it. But I kept letting her go to the Bible study. He said, you know what? Everything they believe is the opposite of what we believe. They're, all of their doctrine is different than ours. You know what she said to him? This was the kicker. She said, I realize that. 
But these are the most loving people I've ever been around in my life. Well, he still had, you know, Allah on his shoulder and his chip to knock off. So one day he said, okay, God, it's going to be, to fish, it's going to be, to be fish or cut bait. i got to go one way or the other. Either Allah's God or your God through Jesus. One or the other. You're one or the other. And i got some questions, and I'm going to write them down, and I want you to answer them for me. So he wrote down ten questions. I think it were ten that he had to seal the deal for him. And he waited. One day passes, two days passes, three days pass. You know. He's in his office. He picks up the notes from the Bible study his wife had been attending. And in four paragraphs, got the biblical answer to every one of those questions. And bowed down and said, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. They'll know you by your love. And you'll walk in that love if you understand your position. If you understand your position, you're going to utter praise. If you understand praise, your posture is going to be that of surrender. And it'll come, Catherine, for all the right reasons. Not to gain the favor of God. Because you've come to know and understand in a deeper way, you have the favor of God. Amen. Let's draw everything we can get spiritually out of this time right now. Because I don't know of anything that the church does that's more important than the Lord's Supper. I don't. And we, we, we need to go through a, a prayer of, of, of examination to see. You have an eternal fellowship, I'm a relationship with him, but sometimes our fellowship can be messed up because we pick up some stuff along the way and we get involved in sin and we, and we get involved in bitterness and anger and we let it take root and, and, and we get involved in unconfessed sin. God will reveal that to you this morning. You may even know what it is right now. Deal with it right now. Not because of fellowship. I'm a relationship because of fellowship. And let's repent of it and ask God to forgive us. If you're not willing to repent of it, the Apostle Paul, Paul said, if you'll examine yourself and take this worthily, which means that reverently dealing with any unconfessed sin, take the Lord's Supper. But if you're not willing as a believer to deal with it, then let the cup pass by and deal with it before you ever take another one. Judge the sin before God does. It's our wonderful opportunity designed by our Savior. If you've never repented toward God and put faith in His Son, pass the cup. This is only for believers. But stay with us and, in, and watch what's happening and listen to what's happening from the Scriptures and learn why we're doing this. We're not doing this because we're weird people. We're doing this because we are everything the Bible just said. We've been marked out by God. He's changed our life and He did it because of His mercy, not because of anything that we've done. And the body and the blood of Jesus Christ are represented in the bread and the cup that we're going to take, take up. And the reason we do that is it's because we vest all of our hope eternally in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This doesn't make us saved. We do it because we are. But if you're a Christian and you're out of fellowship with the Lord, until you repent, and you can do it right now, but if you don't do it, let it go by and let God deal with you. If you're not a believer, stay here with us and watch what happens and listen. And be open to what the Lord might be saying to you through His Word. We love each and every one of you. Let's examine ourselves. And as we have the prayer of examination, Pastor Dave's going to come and lead us in the Lord's Supper, okay? Let's pray.